Yes. I forgot to record the message last week and Becky, she goes, why didn't I get a, a new sermon on the podcast side? I said, I forgot to, uh, to turn on the mic and she reminded me this morning. <laughs> but anyway, it's nice to know that, you know, people listen sometimes. So anyway, hey, I'm going to describe a creature to you. Little, I want a little audience participation, so don't be shy. Uh, I'm going to describe a creature to you, and I want you to guess what it is, okay? Uh, it has two eyes and two ears. Anybody want to guess? No, no guesses so far. What? A liger? No, that's wrong. I don't know what that is. Um, this creature is found on every continent but the Antarctica. Most are wild. Uh, some have been domesticated. Um, this creature has a relatively long neck and a roundish body. It feeds on grasses and plants and insects and worms. Any guesses? A giraffe? No. No? Okay, let's continue. These creatures are normally monogamous. They breed once a year. Uh, they have a large variety of predators, including man. Um, they have feathers, two wings, two legs, two feet, and a bill. Any guesses now? Pelican? Pardon me? Pelican? Ostrich? Swan? What did you say, Tyler? Emu. Emu. <laughs> Emu. No. Okay. That, that was all of, all of valiant effort. Um, but now I'm going to give you the ultimate clue, and there will be no mistake. What if I told you this creature waddled and it quacked a duck there's no it, it waddles and it quacks do, do penguins quack oh no <laughs> the ultimate clue it waddles and it quacks of course it's a duck you know the old saying if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck it's a duck it's a duck um, when you see a duck, you're never confused about what you're looking at. You know exactly what you're looking at. When you hear a duck, you know exactly what you've just heard. There's no confusing that. Beloved, that's how you're supposed to be in the world. You, uh, you are called a Christian. And people are supposed to know who you are by how you talk and by how you walk. We're to be just like that duck. You know, staying with that analogy, do you have that distinctive Christian quack and that distinctive Christian waddle? Reminds me of another old saying, actions speak louder than... Right? Very good. Actions speak louder than words. Ultimately, we are not defined by what we say. We are defined by what we do and how we live. So regarding your Christianity, do you walk the talk, Christian friend, I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge you tonight. Do you walk your talk? Or do you just talk your talk? Are you walking it? Or are you just talking it? Um, as we talk about so many times since we studied the book of James a year or so ago, God is crystal clear about this. He tells us that those who merely hear God's Word are deluded. Those who hear and don't do anything with it, they're deluded. They're not Christians at all. And he tells us too that those who merely 
talk God's Word but never do it. They have a useless faith. He actually says a dead kind of faith. So God is crystal clear on this. He tells us we are not merely called to hear and talk. We are called to do. We are called to be word doers. We are called to waddle the quack. Okay? Waddle the quack. You don't remember anything else I say tonight, you can remember that. I've challenged you to waddle your quack. Not just be talking all the time. We should talk. Talking is good. But hey, if you don't walk it, nobody's going to listen to you. They're just going to think you're another religious, dead, brain-dead, soul-dead religious person who doesn't really have any convictions about what they say they believe. God has called us to be doers of the Word. We talked about this text a couple of weeks ago. Daniel 11.32 The people that do know their God shall be strong and they shall do what? Anyone remember? Exploits. They will waddle their quack. They will do exploits. I love that verse. We're not called to be average, conforming, boring, manageable, careful lies. We're not, we're not called to live those kinds of lives. We're called to follow Christ. Jesus didn't stutter. He said, follow me, and He means it. The Lord God means it. And when Jesus says, follow me, it implies more than just talk, does it not? It implies infinitely more than just talk. It implies that we do intend, in fact, to put one foot in front of the other and follow Him and walk with Him. I love that verse. The people who do know their God shall do exploits. I love that. That's what God's called us to do. What's an exploit? You look it up in the dictionary. It says, feat, a deed, a venture requiring daring or boldness, even heroics. Are you living, living a heroic Christianity? This is what God's called us to. I love that. A heroic Christianity. I love Ephesians 2.10. I share it with you quite often. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How crystal clear is that? How awesome is that? We should walk in them. God has created us for good works. And what I love is He's created us to specifically walk in specific uh, good works that He's prepared for us beforehand. You've got to love Ephesians 2.10. We are not only fearfully and wonderfully made, beloved, we are called to do fearful and wonderful God-prepared works. You've got to love that. That gives me so much confidence to follow Christ in faith, even when it looks hard, even when it looks impossible. I know that, that God's hands are all over this. From eternity past, He's prepared the works that He has called me to do. I absolutely love that concept. We are not redeemed to simply conform to the norms of the world. We talked about it the last week or two. We're not simply here to, to make money, buy things, be comfortable, and entertain ourselves. That's not why Christ has redeemed us. He's redeemed us to be doers of the Word. To magnify Him. To glorify Him for the few moments, as I say to you often, for the few moments that we have left on this planet. John Eldridge is right. He's an American author. He says, you walk into your average church and you meet a lot of bored people. 
Beloved, if you walk into a church and you meet a lot of bored people, that church is no longer walking with Christ. They're just doing religion. You can't walk with Christ genuinely and be bored at all. In fact, the opposite will be true. If you're really walking with Christ, if you're really doing what He's called you to do, your heart will beat fast on occasion. It will beat fast. Because He will always call you to do things you cannot do in your own strength. It will always require faith. Always require faith. The people who know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Beloved, to me that is a a thrilling and an exciting invitation. A thrilling and exciting invitation. What an awesome life to do the thing that God has in eternity past prepared for us to do. I love that. That should embolden us. That should embolden us as we follow the Lord. Boring Christianity is an oxymoron. Boring Christianity is is a false Christianity. It's a domesticated Christianity. It's a Christianity that's been co-opted by man. You know, men like to take Christianity, they like to take the Bible and they like to, to squeeze it down and put it in a box and manage it. But you cannot manage genuine, authentic, biblical Christianity. You cannot put Jehovah in a box. Real Christianity is being in a relationship with a breathtakingly awesome God. Really knowing Him, really loving Him, really walking with Him, really obeying Him. That's genuine Christianity. That's the biblical description. And if we know our God, we will do exploits. We will do exploits. We will turn the world upside down a little bit every day. I love that thought. And we will make ripples in eternity with our earthly good works and exploits. You say, Jim, what are you talking about? I'm talking about how you ripple eternity and how lives are changed as you pray to the Lord. As you serve your church. As you give of your money and your finances to honor God. As you do your evangelism. As you... uh, Love each other as you walk with Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. Every day as you do those things, you're rippling eternity. And in my mind, that's an exploit. It might be quiet. It might be no one can see it. No one's going to write it down in a history book. But God sees it. And God acknowledges it. And it pleases the Lord. God's people, those that know Him, are called to do Exploit. Some dead guy said it really, really well. He said, preach the gospel at all times. Does anybody know how? This is a great, this is a famous saying. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. Now, I'm going to challenge you to speak the gospel. This part of the passage tonight is about uh, verbal evangelism. But you, again, your verbal evangelism, evangelism is worthless if you're not walking it if you are not walking it. Beloved, God is a doing God. 
God is not just a talking God. God does exploits and He's called His people to uh, resemble Him in this. His adopted children are supposed to have that resemblance of the Father. We're, we're doing people. We're people who do the Word of God. Tonight we conclude the application section of uh, the book of Colossians. I've really, really enjoyed this, this study. We'll have probably one more sermon as Paul makes concluding remarks uh, next time we're together. But I've, I've really loved this study. As you may recall, just briefly, uh, the uh, first two chapters of Colossians, the Holy Spirit, again, is, He's just pointing to Christ. He's saying, He's God. He's all you need. He's God. You don't need man-made religion. You don't need philosophy. You don't need mysticism. You don't need asceticism. Christ is all you need. He debunks all the Christ plus Gospels. It's powerful. I love those first two chapters. He makes it clear. The Holy Spirit says, Jesus is the Creator God. Colossians 1.16 Jesus is the Eternal God. Colossians 1.17 Jesus is the Sustainer God. Again, Colossians 1.17. Uh, Jesus is the Redeemer God. Colossians 1.20. And Colossians 2.9 and 10. Uh, in Jesus is all the fullness of deity and He exercises sovereign rule and authority over all. The Holy Spirit holds up Christ and He says He's God. He redeems His people utterly. He needs no help from man-made religion. This is the first two chapters of Colossians. And then we know the Holy Spirit turns the corner in chapter 3 and He goes from doctrine. He, he transitions from doctrine to application. He always does this. The Holy Spirit says, if you're really raised up with Jesus, if it's real in your life, walk like it. And we've been studying all the things that the Holy Spirit has been exhorting us to do. He says, if it's real with you, walk like it. Don't just talk. You need to walk your talk. And this is what the Holy Spirit has been saying to us. So tonight, the Holy Spirit reminds us where this talking and walking thing begins and what this talking and walking thing looks like. Let me just reread for you again chapter 4, verse 2 of Colossians. Listen, okay, listen, listen, listen to where this must start. I'm going to ask you, where must it start? I'm going to ask you when I, after I finish reading this. Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that, that God may open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Where does it begin? Someone tell me. If we're really going to walk the talk, where does it begin? We are emasculated without prayer. I mean, we're just playing religion if we think we can walk with Christ and not be uh, devoted to prayer. Our talking, walking Christianity begins and it is perpetually fed by our secret times of prayer with God. The walking, the talk formula it begins with God. It begins with that ongoing conversation that every true Christian has with his Father. God says, devote yourselves to prayer. Notice that God doesn't just say pray. What does He say? 
He says what? Devote yourself. He says, I want you to stay with it. He says, I want you to give yourselves to it. I looked at uh, the, some of the English translation of the, the Greek word here that's translated devote uh, in uh, the NAS. And these are some of the words I found. God says, continue in it. God says, persevere in prayer. God says, persist in prayer. God says, be diligent in prayer. This is what God God says, if you're going to walk with my son, if you're going to do what I've called you to do, if you're going to walk in the good works I've prepared beforehand for you to walk in, you have to start in your conversation with me. It has to start with the conversation you're having with me. I love this. I love this. This is so powerful. And to me, it's so, it's so encouraging. You can't walk the talk without first talking to the Lord. And beloved, if you are communing with I Am, if you are communing with I Am, you will not only begin to believe that you can do exploits, you will begin to do exploits. If you are communing with God Almighty, you can't spend time with the Lord and not be changed. And God calls us to be a people of exploits. No fewer than six times in the New Testament we see the command or the example of God's people being devoted. Devoted to prayer. Uh, just a couple of examples. Two quick verses. Ephesians 6.18 God says, pray at all times. First <laughs> um, Thessalonians 5.17 God says, pray without ceasing. So what does this mean? Does this mean that we, we are mentally and verbally praying uh, 24-7? Is that what it means? No. That's not exactly what it means. But I love how John Piper says it. He says to pray without ceasing is to have, to have a, a conscious, to be consciously leaning on the Lord moment by moment. It's your default mental state. Everything that you encounter on a daily basis, it's given up to the Lord. Oh Lord, you know, I praise you for this. Oh Lord, help me with this. Oh Lord, I love that default mental state. I think that's what the Lord is saying to us here. Moment by moment, we consciously lean on Him and His promises to us. If we're going to be word doers, we must have that ongoing conversation with God. We must have that ongoing conversation with God. It, it's, it's a process of giving our day to Him. Whether it's good, whether it's hard, whether it's boring or indifferent, whether it's routine, whether there's blessings or trials. We all just see it in reference to our sovereign God. We receive the providences of God uh, with joy, even if it's hard, knowing that His hand is on us. I think this is, the, I think this is what is meant by praying without ceasing. We just we perpetually give our day to God. Whatever comes, whatever comes in the providences of God, we perpetually give it up to God and cry out to God for His hand to be on us. I think the second thing it means is that this default mental state of prayer, it's punctuated by times that we set aside to be alone in private with the Lord and we cry out to God with a burden and with passion. A time that we are specifically there, focused, praying. I think the kind of prayer that God is calling us to is both of these things. This default mental state we walk through the day with and these 
times that we specifically set aside, these secret times to be with God and to concentrate on Him and to cry out to Him. Beloved, I think I've said this to you several times. There's only one reason a professed Christian doesn't pray. And that's because he thinks he doesn't need God. And what I want to say to you, a Christian who thinks he doesn't need God, he is no Christian at all. <laughs> he may be religious, he may be a church member, but he's not walking with Christ. If he thinks he can walk through his day without the Lord, he has no clue about New Testament Christianity. He has no clue about what it means to walk with the living God. A church member can talk a good game. He can talk the talk, but he can't walk the walk. He can't walk. He may have some quack, but he has no waddle when he gets into the world. And he's easily seen as counterfeit. I love what Bruce Wilkerson said. Uh, he's the guy that wrote uh, the prayer of Jabez. And in the prayer of Jabez, he says this, It is a frightening and utterly exhilarating truth that as God's children, we are called to live the impossible. I love that. Don't you love that? I love that. I'll read it to you again. It is a frightening and utterly exhilarating truth that as God's children, we are called to live the impossible. The Holy Spirit is reminding us that we can't really walk with God if we're not uh, in communion with God, if we're not devoting ourselves uh, to Him in prayer. We, can't we can talk all day, we can be religious, but we can't be real Christians if we're not giving ourselves to prayer, if we're not intimate with the Father in prayer. Notice too the Holy Spirit says here, He says that we'll have an attitude of thanksgiving. And right, every true Christian understands about an attitude of thanksgiving. Why, why is the average, well, why is every Christian thankful? Well, there, there are, what? A million answers. But preeminently, what? We were the hell bound enemies of God. But now we're what? The heaven bound sons and daughters of God. Amen. How can you not be thankful? Even on your worst day. On your hardest day, when you can't cry anymore, how can you not still be thankful? God has redeemed and rescued you forever. And your inheritance is imperishable. And He waits for you to bring He's bringing you to Himself. It's going to be an awesome thing. An awesome eternity. Beloved, when it gets hard in the temporal sense, just remember who you are and all that God has done in your behalf. If we really get this, if we really understand it, if we really own it for ourselves, we will be irrepressibly thankful, even in the hard circumstance. Thankfulness is the hallmark of the authentic Christian. And the Holy Spirit's been driving this home all through Colossians. Just a brief review. Colossians 1.12, He says, Give thanks. Colossians 2.7, uh, Overflow, He says, We overflow in gratitude. Colossians 3.15, be thankful. Colossians 3.17, again, give thanks. This is what the people of God do. This is how we live. And beloved, that's your evangelism. When it's really hard in your life and, and your friends and your family and your co-workers see it and you're still praising God, 
That's evangelism. That's your evangelism. And people are going to go, wow, he must be real. He must be faithful. He must be good. He must be utterly satisfying. For this person to be going through this awful trial and he's still praising the Lord. He still has praise and joy on his lips for his awesome Redeemer God. Beloved, this is your evangelism. This is your evangelism. Verses 3 and 4 here. Look how the talking to God, I love this, the talking to God empowers the walking with God. Paul says, pray for us that we might do the thing God's called us to do. He says, join me in my conversation with God about the thing He prepared for me to do. Paul's not arrogant here. He says, I need God's help to do what He's called me to do. And beloved, if you're serious about doing what God's called you to do, you need His help. You can't do it on your own. Paul says, join me in talking with God about this that I might be able to do the Ephesians 2.10 thing. That I can walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand for me. Paul says, join me in my conversation with God about this. And I'm sure you know it's right here in the text. Paul's in prison. As he writes this letter, he's in prison. And notice, notice what he's not asking them to pray for. He's not asking them to pray for deliverance. He's asking them to pray for a profitable ministry even in prison. Don't you love it? Paul is just receiving the hard providences of God and making the most of them. Beloved, is that how you live your Christianity? Paul's not wringing his hands and complaining and feeling sorry for himself. He's saying, this is where God has put me. I'm going to do ministry. <laughs> Don't you love it? That's, that's how we should live. Even if it's a hard day, do ministry. Man, your best evangelism will be on your hardest day. The people around you will see it. The reality of your God and the power of your God the faithfulness of your God. you got to love this guy. Man, I want to be like this guy. Don't you want to be like Paul? I want to be like him when I grow up. I know most of you think I am grown up. I'm pretty much grown up. But not all the way yet. So I want to be like him. When I grow up, you got to love this guy. Every providence, whether good or bad, he just keeps walking with Christ. He just keeps doing ministry. You know, we know Paul... Uh, struggled quite a bit. He experienced times without food and water. He was exposed to the cold. He was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night uh, in the sea. He had multiple imprisonments. He's beaten, the Scripture says, beaten times without numbers. You remember what happened in Lystra? I love what happened in Lystra. Acts chapter 14. You remember what happened? Paul was preaching the Gospel. They drug him out of the city and they stoned him. And they thought he was dead. He probably was dead. It's probably when God took him up into the third heaven. I don't know. But they thought he was dead. And so the crowd leaves. And his, 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 his uh, friends and disciples are just standing around. He gets up. He miraculously gets up. And he doesn't head for the next town. He goes back in there. He goes back into Lystra. I love that. I want to be like this guy. Don't you want to be like this guy? Come on. Who doesn't want to be like Paul? He just keeps walking the talk. He never stops walking the talk. And beloved, that's really what this sermon is about. I'm challenging you to go out into the world and walk the talk. No more 
No more nominal Christianity, which is really an oxymoron. Walk the talk with your family and your co-workers and your neighborhood. Walk the talk. Are you like Paul in this, beloved? I want to challenge you to be like Paul in this regard. Paul says, pray for me that I might do the thing God designed me to do, the thing God called me to do. Paul says, converse with God with me. Uh, Have a conversation with God in my behalf that I might be faithful, that I might accomplish all that He's called me to do. He he wants to do that Ephesians 2.10 thing. Yes, he was in prison as he wrote this. You know what he did in prison? <laughs> he wrote Colossians. He wrote while he was in prison during this imprisonment. He wrote Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. He's not. He's not sitting in prison, feeling sorry for himself. He's doing ministry. And you know what else? You know what else? You, if you read the book of Acts, you find out that many were converted. Many in Caesar's house were converted while Paul was there. Beloved, he's doing ministry. He's doing ministry in prison. Awesome ministry. Ministry that's impacting you and me today. You see what I say about exploits? You see what I'm talking about? It ripples eternity. We may not be able to see it. No one around us may be able to see it. But God is doing things through His people when we obey and do the things He's called us to do. So I'll make a deal with you. You pray for me. You pray for me that I might walk in the good works God has prepared for me and I'll pray for you. I can't think of something, I can't think of anything I would rather you pray for me about. That Jim Albright would walk in the Ephesians 2.10 works that God has prepared beforehand for me to walk in. You know why? Because that's going to fill my heart up so much. I'm going to be so full of joy when I actually do the thing that I was particularly designed to do. As Twyla Paris says, to learn to dream the dreams that God has dreamed for me. I love that line. Beloved, that's, in my view, Ephesians 2.10. Look at verses 5 and 6. Holy Spirit says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of, of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. The Holy Spirit says, walk the talk. That's the literal Greek here. The NAS, my, my translation, my English translation, the New American Standard Version, says, conduct yourselves. The literal Greek is walk. The literal Greek says, walk. That's why I started with a duck. Walk like a duck. If you say you're a duck, walk like a duck. If you say you're a Christian, conduct yourselves accordingly. This is what the Holy Spirit is exhorting us to do from this text. Let me ask you, I ask you this question on occasion, probably four, five, six, eight times a year. Why has God left you here anyway? Why has God left you on the planet? Wouldn't it be far better, as Paul says, to just go and be with Jesus? Wouldn't it just be far better? Couldn't we worship Him better there? Couldn't we know Him better there? Couldn't we praise Him better there? Couldn't we serve Him better there? Yes! So why doesn't He just take us home? Why has He left us here? Why? Anybody? His 
Okay, for His purpose and His glory. Beloved, you're in on Operation Matthew 28. Anybody know what that is? That's why you're here. That's why you're still here. You're supposed to be doing evangelism. You say, well, Jim, I don't have the gift of, of evangelism. Wrong. All you have to do is live your faith in front of people. They will, they will get it. They will get it. And yes, sometimes you'll be called upon to speak. And yes, speak. You don't have to, be a, you don't have to go to seminary to be able to share the gospel. You don't have to be a, a high-powered Christian apologist to defend the gospel. Just know the Word of God. Just share, people, just share the Word of God with people. Just read the Scriptures to them. Just write some down in your pocket. and if you, if you don't, just pull it out and read it to them. That's infinitely more powerful than you making a lot of philosophical philosophical arguments. Why are we still here, beloved? Because we've been called to do evangelism. We are in on Operation Matthew 28. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's why God doesn't take us to heaven. Because you're supposed to be a living, breathing, walking, testifying evangelist. In your home, where you work, in your neighborhood, you're supposed to be doing Ephesians 2.10. You're supposed to be walking in the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. Every Christian is an evangelist. We are evangelists. We are to talk and we are to walk the Gospel. The Holy Spirit says, conduct yourselves always with this in mind. You're part of Operation Matthew 28. Don't ever forget it. Act like it. Walk like it. Live like it. That's why you're here. I love how Piper says it. He says, Christianity is a soul-winning, outreaching, mind-persuading, heart-entreating, rescuing, missionary faith, or it is not true Christianity at all. Beloved, preach at all times. What did the guy say? What did the dead guy say? Preach at all times. Use words when necessary. Your life should be speaking the gospel. Your life should be speaking the gospel. I like uh, Paul says. He says uh, in all. He says with wisdom. And I, I was doing some reading this week, and I, I John MacArthur said a really cool thing about this. I just want to quote him and share what he says about this wisdom. You know, he talks about well. He says, we're supposed to do this in wisdom. So how is the Christian to obtain this wisdom? I bet most of you already know. You could probably come up with this list on your own. But I love how MacArthur said it. Uh, How do we obtain wisdom? He said, through worship. I loved it. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In our worship, we receive wisdom from the Lord. In prayer, James chapter 1, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask. Through Bible study, Colossians 3, let the Word of Christ uh, uh, richly dwell within you through our knowledge and study of Scripture. And then lastly, through biblical preaching and teaching, Colossians 1, Paul says we proclaim Christ, teaching every man with all wisdom. Beloved, are you availing yourselves to the wisdom that God has made available to you? Through worship, through prayer, through study, through biblical preaching and teaching. Look what he says here. He says, make the most of each opportunity. 
I really got convicted when I read that. Are you making the most of every opportunity to be an evangelist, to share the gospel with people in the world? I love how, again, how John Piper talks about this. He says, uh, he says, there's never a dull or insignificant moment in the Christian's life. I love that. I bet you maybe are not wholly convinced of that. Listen to what he says. There's never a dull or insignificant moment for the Christian who is radically devoted to the shrewd use of every moment for eternity. I love that. I love that. I think that is so beautiful. The Holy Spirit says, He says, let your talk be gracious and salty, responding as you should to each person. Let your speech be gracious and salty. What does gracious mean? You, you, you know what it means. It just means let your, let your speech be, be loving and kind and gentle and courteous and merciful and benevolent. What does it mean for our, uh, our, our speech to be, uh, to have, to be salty? as it were, as I think the Scripture says, to be seasoned, as it were, with salt. Well, salt has a distinctive flavor. It is not bland. Our speech is not bland. Our speech has the flavor and is permeated with the beauty of Christ. Amen? That's the speech of a Christian. It's, uh, yeah, it's not bland. It has a distinctive flavor. Our speech, a Christian speech, yes, it has a bite and a sting to it where there's, corrupt, where there's corruption. It brings a little bit of a bite and a sting because we call sin, sin, right? Because we love the lost. And our speech will be salty in that it heals and preserves where there is a wound. That's what it means to have salty speech in a biblical context. We've said it many times. We, we preach the Gospel in this church. Not just the whole Gospel. Not just the parts that people like to hear, but the whole thing. Why do we do that? Because we are uh, doctrinal purists. Well, we want to be that, but that's not principally why we preach the truth. We preach the truth because we love people enough to preach the truth. We don't want anyone to walk out and be deceived. And beloved, that's how you should share the Gospel. You should share the Gospel in its entirety. Yes, men will ridicule us. Yes, men don't like to hear it. Yes, we will sometimes incur the wrath of the unbeliever. But all that's beside the point. We're in on Operation Matthew 28. And that's what we're here to do. Whether it's easy or whether it's hard. Whether there's blessing or whether there's trial. A good brother pointed this verse out to me and I'm just about through uh, many years ago and it really has become the verse which governs the way Karen and I do ministry. I've shared it with you a couple of times in the past. 2 Timothy 2, 24-25. The Holy Spirit says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Also, 1 Peter 3.15, I'll just give you that for free. 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify Christ, I love this, as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks. Let me ask you, is anyone asking? Is anyone asking you about the hope that's within you? Beloved, people should be asking. People should be asking. But Paul says, 
He's, 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 pardon me. Peter says, um, be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases that verse. He says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you live the way you live. I love that. If you're really walking the talk, you will get to talk the talk. If you're walking the talk, people will ask, well, why do you do that? Why do you believe that? Why do you not do that? People will ask. So if you're walking the talk, then you'll get the opportunity to talk the talk. Because people will ask. People will ask. I think that's beautiful. So be ready to tell anyone who asks why you live the way you live. Titus 2.10 says, Our lives are to adorn the doctrine of God. I love that. Your life is to adorn the doctrine of God. So why has God left you here? Why are you here, Christian? Someone tell me. Why are you still walking the planet? Is it so you can have a nice career and make lots of money and buy lots of stuff and entertain yourself? Is that what it's about? Does God just want you to have a good time in a temporal sense? Or has God called His people to something infinitely greater than that? Why are you still here? You're an evangelist. If you're a Christian, you're an evangelist. You're to live the Gospel and share the Gospel. That's why we're here. This is the whole point of what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us tonight. God means for you to walk the talk. The people who do know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Beloved, that's my challenge to you. That's my challenge to you this week. Go out in the world. And walk the talk. For the glory of Jesus, that men may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, as always, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the challenge. Father, if there's anyone here that's become spiritually lazy, that has forgotten about Matthew 28, who's not thought about Ephesians 2.10 and maybe forever, Lord, I pray that You'll convict us of our sin in that regard. Lord, that we would heed the exhortation of the Spirit of God. That we, we would give ourselves over to the good works that You have prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Oh Lord, that we would be devoted in prayer. That we'd be crying out. Father, for You to to come and be with us as we attempt to walk with Jesus, something that obviously is impossible apart from Your divine intervention. 
Lord, we just thank You for Your Word. I pray that our speech would be gracious and salty. I pray that we would not be afraid to speak the truth to all who inquire. We would not have some little dumbed down, fuzzy, warm version of Christianity, but we would, we would put an awesome God, an awesome Creator, an awesome Redeemer in front of the sinner. A holy God, a righteous God, a judging God, that we would graciously be able to, to speak these truths that You might convict hearts and bring people to Yourself. Lord, we want to be evangelists. I know none of us, I'm thinking none of us in this room are as good of an evangelist as we'd like to be. So Lord, we pray that You would help us in this. Convict us about our prayerlessness in this regard. And Lord, give us a burden to walk the talk. To walk the talk. We pray this in the beautiful name, sufficient name, mighty name, all glorious name of Jesus. Amen.